from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello everyone and welcome to Talking Catholic, the official podcast of the Diocese of Camden. And today with my co-host, Mike Walsh, Director of Communications of the Diocese of Camden. How are you, Mike, today? I'm good, but I don't think you got a chance to introduce yourself. Oh, who am I? Who are you? Okay. I'm Marion Ellen Nunez. Yeah, you can introduce me. Well, here's the thing. I can introduce your name, but I can never introduce your title because you have the longest title in the diocese. So you're Marion Ellen Nunez, uh, my co-host today and a regular co-host for for Talking Catholic going forward, as well as the co-host of our Spanish language YouTube show, which I never get right. See if you can say it. Compartiendo Dudon. Tedon. Which comes out on the 1st and the 15th of every month on a dedicated YouTube channel, Spanish language only. But some of your previous guests include... Oh, we had uh, Ramon and we have Sister uh, Maria de Jesus Herrera. We also had Father Rene Canales and Matt Davis, our Life and Justice uh, Director for the Diocese of Camden. But don't forget to mention my co-host, yes. Jose Rodriguez, who um, is there with me as well. Yes, he's the best. And you didn't say my title. I still didn't say it because I still can't, I can't remember. I know it's the field consultant for many words. The Latino Enrollment Initiative for the Diocese of Camden. There you go. Which and I can never remember. What do we have today, Mike? Well, we have uh, actually one of my favorite conversations. We have all regular guests who have been on the show before. Your first time co-hosting. We have another co-host with us today, Mary McCusker. And we have our guest today, Mary Beth Peabody, who's been on the uh, show many times. But you guys are fulfilling a role, you two, as I'm pointing at Marianella and Mary Beth. I think this is the first time we've ever done a podcast for people who have come back from one of the pilgrimage journeys, what, less than 24 hours ago? Correct. So I, I am going to warn you about these podcasts, and I'm going to warn everybody. tired you are? Um, not, no. Actually, uh, this is going to be an intense podcast. Uh, these conversations are really hard to have, and our feelings are still really fresh. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like we still haven't processed it all. And, and we're going to give it to you really hot out of the pot. Okay. Well, then let's, uh, then let's start with this. All right. So hold on. Ma- Mary and I have had these conversations a lot. How many, Mary, how many people have been down to the pilgrimage? So far, we have had 120. 120 pilgrims. Now, that sounds Maybe about right a little bit more, yes. And one of the things that we ask all of the pilgrims, pilgrims to the border to do is either write something or give a presentation or, or talk about it. Um, and you two are going to be giving this sort of talk you know, very fresh. So I guess the, most of the people who listen to the podcast at this point should know what the pilgrimage, but if you want to give it a, a quick summary, what would you say, Mary? Sure. So um, this... This idea for pilgrimages to the U.S.-Mexico border, they started back in 2014 when my other boss, Kevin Hickey, um, he responded to a call put out by Catholic Charities USA, um, and they said, look, there's a crisis at the border, there's a huge influx of immigrants, and after they... Uh, are processed at the facilities, they have nowhere to go. Um, They're released with nothing except a date for their court hearing, an ankle bracelet, and that's it. And that's after people have 
literally walked from Central America through Mexico. Um, some of them have lost family members along the way, and they've just endured unimaginable um, suffering, both in their countries of origin and along the way. So in response, um, Sister Norma Pimentel, our JFA honoree from last year, mm-hmm. uh, she is the executive director of Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley, and she welcomed Catholic Charities agencies from all over the country saying, if you can send people, we need help. And one of those people was uh, Brian Wagner, my colleague at Catholic Charities, who spent months there. And when he came back and told Kevin Hickey about what he saw there, Kevin's, I hope I'm getting this right, if Kevin's listening, (laughs) (laughs) Kevin's response was, we need people to see this firsthand. Um, This was back in 2014 and people still need to see it firsthand. Um, Immigration is still an issue, um, a very complicated one at that. And um, so last year, yes, the beginning of last year, um, we we went down uh, as a fact-finding team to figure out how can we get people in the diocese down to the border to see this, to see the reality. Uh, How do we do that? So that was the first trip, and um, we kind of made some contacts down there um, with the local parishes, uh, the different communities along the border, and of course with the Humanitarian Respite Center. And since then, we have sent um, well over a hundred people down yeah. in different groups. Wow! And it's sort of more. It was a two-year process. It, it, the Share the Journey campaign initiative, rather, uh, was an international campaign put together, or requested by the, by Pope Francis, taken over by Caritas and Catholic Charities in the United States. Um, and actually, November marks the end of that two-year right. Share the Journey initiative. So this is, a, is your trip is essentially the last sort of official Share the Journey yeah. But uh, we trip. want them to keep yes. going. We, we, we did, <laughs> Let's we did. pray for that. Right. Yes. <laughs> but it, it also showed an evolution, which is something we're going to get into, because uh, this is the first time we've had anybody on the podcast that's had what would be what you've experienced, which is whereas the initial trips were down to service um, and help Sister Norma Pimentel with her respite center, now that respite center is basically not quite covered in cobwebs, but it's gone from the thousands it's seen to a trickle. Right. So I guess, you know, starting it off is, you know, first, what made you want to take this trip? And second, how did your journey begin? I would like to uh, have a chance to introduce my coworker Mary Beth Peabody, who's here with us today uh, to share the journey uh, with all of you. Uh, she is the uh, communications and marketing manager for the school's office, and I would like her to tell you what made her go to the trip. Um, well, thank you, Marinella and Mike and Mary. Um, I guess. I remember being in Mike's office and he said, hey, I want you to sit in on this webinar we're having with this sister Norma down in Brownsville and they're trying to put this program together and all I heard was helping service, finding out more about the immigration problem. I said, oh, I, I want to do that trip. And um, just the way things worked out, this is the one that, that worked out for me and actually I brought my husband Eric with me which was a wonderful thing to be able to do as well to be able to 
to have that experience together. Um, I just wanted to, it's almost hard to say what you wanted before you went versus after you've been because now I know what I got and what I got was just a better understanding of how much there is to understand. It's right. very, yeah. very complicated. And um, I, yeah, well, well, we'll get into that. But that's how that's how I came to go. I just heard about it and really wanted to do that. So. And Mary Beth, you know what? When I came back from the fact-finding uh, trip, when this all first started, I thought, well, people actually want to do this? Ugh. And I remember you jumped out of your seat. You were one of the first people who said, I want to go down. We should be doing this. And that confirmed for me, okay, people will get on board. <laughs> and sure enough, <laughs> they did. So... And what about you, uh, Marianella? What was it that uh, kind of kicked it for you? Well, I remember that meeting when we talked about, uh, you know, the uh, Share the Journey campaign and these trips that we're going to go down to the border. And I was sort of like expecting to be called to serve, um, you know, uh, because I speak Spanish. Um, I remember, Mike, you mentioned in that meeting, well, you might be called uh, to do this. And sort of like I kept waiting. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, then I said, I really want to do this. And it's almost over. Uh, and so in August, we sort of like tried to go with principles and it didn't really work out. Like it was, uh, we didn't get enough people to go. And so I was like uh, really sad and I thought, I may not have the opportunity to do it. And the reason why um, I wanted to do this is because as, a, as an immigrant that came to the U.S. Uh, in a different situation and, you know, I didn't have to go through the desert. I didn't have to cross the river, and I didn't have to experience that journey. I think there's a piece that I was missing uh, to understand uh, immigration in this country and how um, you know families come that way, which is you know really um, a difficult way. And so, I I believe that immigrants like me that you know have their paperwork fixed and it, it's it's good are not helping enough to the community of immigrants that are uh, struggling to get a legal status in this country and so I needed to see uh, and to inform myself and to get uh, to understand it better so that I can sort of like be that voice for those uh, that can help more that are in the Latino community. Yeah, I'm curious. Well, yeah, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, but what was your your immigration uh, story? Like, why why did you leave the Dominican Republic and come here? Well, uh, in the Dominican Republic, I think people dream about coming to the U.S. Um, in my situation, like, I was getting an education in the Dominican Republic. I come from a very humble family, uh, and uh, I always saw education as the way out of poverty and, uh, you know, to a better future. Um, but I... I had been dating my husband since I was uh, 14 years old, (laughs) and so uh, he uh, moved here uh, when he was 17 and and I was uh, 16, so at the age of 19 we decided to get married so that I could come, and you know, being from a very humble family, that was like a very good thing to do, like there was no disapproval for my family to do this, Uh, and you know, I came with my husband to form a family and to get an education. That's what I wanted to accomplish. I really wanted to become a professional woman. I wanted to be able to serve society in a different way, coming from a family where, you know, most of the women were not, you know, um, 
having uh, professional degrees. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to get back. I wanted to help my, my grandmother who was still there, my mother, um, to, to get out of poverty, basically, you know? And so that's what brought me here. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm, my apologies. <laughs> it's Mary. just interesting to hear, you know, of all the complaining that native-born Americans do about this country. When you talk to immigrants, um, regardless of you know where they're coming from it's they see the US as the place to go and to you know grow and learn and seek opportunity so it's you know it's it's true for you and I'm sure it's true it for is. a lot of the people who were fleeing central I america th I think I have um, accomplished the american dream and um, you know I see a lot of my cousins in the Dominican Republic that has uh, have gotten professional degrees and are working really really hard and for them uh, it is hard to you know, you know, just uh, sort of like supply the basic needs. And, um, you know, I can tell, like, you know, even people that are not doing so poorly there, uh, they're struggling a lot. And, and that's why, you know, people see the U.S. as a place where all dreams can come true. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's actually a great jumping off point for, you know, what you saw when you got down there. So why, why don't we go through your trip, um, you know, Chrono chronologically. So you decide to, to go, and uh, I know that uh, Mary and her team put you through your paces in terms of uh, getting prepared for, uh, for the trip. Uh, what do you usually do, by the way, Mary, to get people prepared for the trip? Um, we do, you know, what to pack, what to bring. Here's the itinerary, but you know, we give them the, the genesis and we explain the Share the Journey initiative. But I think the point that we really try to drive home is the difference between a solidarity pilgrimage, which these have been, and a mission trip. And, you know, it's I feel like it's our instinct to want to help, um, whatever that means. And that I think that's a frustration a lot of people run into when they go on these trips. You want to help. You want to fix and that's not really what a solidarity pilgrimage is. Um, it's more about understanding, learning, breaking bread. You're not there to fix a house and then wipe your hands clean, come back home, and then that's it. You know, it's about building relationships with other people, learning, unlearning, <laughs> um, witnessing the complexities and coming back and... Um, reflecting on it further and spreading the word. And um, that's an Im important distinction. And so we really try to drive that home because I fell into the same trap. I want to fix this. I want to help the the migrants. And But it's more than that, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I knew that sort of intellectually, but I right. didn't get it until, until I got there. there right? yeah. um, you know, I, I saw the itinerary, but it it just didn't sink in. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just find out when I get there. And so we got there and, and our flight was late. So we got to um, McAllen, I guess a couple hours really later than we had anticipated. Yeah. And fortunately, Sister Norma was able to wait. She was leaving to go away and we were all dying to meet her and get the tour. So we got the tour and then we met with this just lovely pediatrician who's donating so much of her time mm. to working there. And the center was empty. There were just a couple families, and it was like, oh. It was sort of depressing to look at the center empty and full of resources, you know? Just a few months ago, there were thousands right. coming yeah. into that and, center. And so we got a tour, and we saw all the supplies that were there for people who couldn't 
access them because they're not allowed in anymore. And then that was sort of the end of day one. And I was like, we didn't we didn't do anything. We didn't fix anything yet, but we'll do that tomorrow. So we got up the next day and we started by going to hear a presentation about an organization that helps people, but we weren't doing the help. And then they took us to the homes of people. We split into two groups and we went to visit people who live in these colonias, which are tiny little, the, the direct translation they said is neighborhoods. Colonias. But, uh, colonias. Um, and and it was then that I felt like I was being hit over the head because I started to get it, that we needed to understand the background. It wasn't just the people who are mm-hmm. trying to come now. It was, I mean, we were with a woman who has been in the United States for seven years, has two of her five children are citizens, and she is not. So she still lives with that, and she's been in and out, but her last stretch has been a seven full years. And she told her story, and she had a, we had a translator there from this organization called Arise that works with women, mostly women and children in the area to help them become self-sufficient. And um, the, the pain in her tears I, I just can't even, she just had these silent tears coming down her face as she spoke, but she had a huge smile at the same time. And the dichotomy was just, I, I can't describe what it was like looking at her and seeing that much pain and joy at the same mm-hmm. time. And her joy, she kept saying, was because of her faith, that she hadn't really had that strong faith until she came here. She had a crucifix in her house that was too tall to stand up in her living room. I will show wow. you a picture of it, and you will not believe it, this it, crucifix. It was incredible. I hope um, someone was standing next to it for reference. It, it was really unbelievable. Wow. And But she would, she would just cry and then have this big, bright smile. And your heart wanted to burst, and I finally realized that, you know, we've been talking about welcoming the stranger, and I was sitting there, and I said, I get it. I'm the stranger today. Mm -hmm. That's my job, is to be the stranger. I've never been the stranger, and that was my job that day, and it was like a whole switch went off. And, And the rest of the day, we just encountered people in their world the welcoming, every place we went, people with little means fed us and thanked us. And and later I got to spend time with a 22-year-old citizen, you know, grew up there, and she was explaining to me, among many things, we had about 45 minutes, just the two of us, and one of the things she was telling me about was the wall, what that's going to do to the ecosystem there, and just learning about that, she said, you know, we have the most, the Rio Grande Valley is such a unique place, and there is there there is no other place that has the ecosystem we do. And when that concrete gets poured, it's going to destroy, and for what? So, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I could just... Um, If if we try to go like chronologically into what we did, I just want to mention and thank all the people that went on this pilgrimage with us because on day one, uh, since our flight was very delayed and we were trying to rush to meet with Sister Norma, she was graciously enough to say, uh, I'm going to meet you an hour later than what, you know, initially we had said. But what that meant was that I had to ask everybody. 
you're not eating lunch. And they hadn't really eaten breakfast because we said, it's 4 a.m. in the morning. We're going to get to Houston. And in Houston, we're going to have a nice breakfast. And <laughs> because we were so late for the first flight to begin with, then we needed to really run. And, and you know, uh, we were running to catch the other plane. And we were able to catch the other plane from Houston to McAllen. And um, once we were there, we were like, we can't eat. Uh, we have to decide, Sister Norma or lunch. And, you know, these people were very hungry. And they were like, we all want to meet Sister Norma. And they, afterwards, they said, this was really worth it. What a, what a, what a woman. Uh, what an incredible person. And I don't know if you remember, Mary Beth, but she said something about... This is not about you pilgrimage. You know, this is not this is not about um, you coming here. It's about them, and it's about people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, it was it was really uh, good to hear that. You know, cause some people want to go to feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, you know, like we want to sort of like feel good about doing good deeds. And but it's not about us. It's about serving the others. And she was very clear on that, and very graciously explained what was going on at the center today like what's what's going on um that the center is now empty and explaining all of these policies and while she was doing that there was uh the news were around the center sort of like taping what's going on and how empty it is and the few families that are in there news (laughs) yeah so we made it to the news um and it was it was sort of like an incredible uh experience to start and everybody was so welcoming you know there was uh since starting with Sister Norma to the pediatrician that was explaining how she handles all the uh, volunteer doctors that come to the center uh, and how she encourages people in their own towns around the country that want to volunteer as actors to really start something in their own places because a lot of the people that were displaced are in need of medical services in their own places and they can only do too much in two hours. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you both were able to to meet Sister Norma, because that's always been a hallmark of this experience. I I was included in your uh, WhatsApp group chat, and when I, I saw all these frantic text messages going on, no time to eat, someone <laughs> said, run to the gate. I said, oh no, they're running late. I was watching the flight loop around the Houston airport because there were delays. So she's just been so generous every pilgrimage with her time and just putting things into context and like like you said you know reminding us it's not about us this is not a feel-good trip we're not saviors here you know this is about them (laughs) and you know i was like uh you know i'm a fan of sister norma and i was like sister norma I really want to hug you. And I Can went I and hugged Sister Norma, and then she started hugging every one of us. Yeah, we all got a big and they all from Sister Norma. It was amazing. It, yeah. was, oh, it was incredible. It was, it was a... I never got a hug from Sister Norma. Well, I well, got two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some of us sullied on up for a couple mics. So, uh, okay. so what happened next, Mary Beth? Like, we went uh, from, like, you know, meeting Sister Norma and the wonderful doctor to, like, you know, even meeting, like, a, a Hollywood actress there, like, that was there just to understand. Wasn't that yeah, something? Yeah, that was, that was something. Do, yeah. do you remember the name of the actress, Mary Beth? No, Mary we, was telling we me thought about we it. were going to see her again on Friday because she oh. said she was going over the border, so we thought we were going to see her the next day, and we did not. Yeah. Okay. So, I'll have um, to see if 
if I can track down who that was. No, but she did tell us the name of the film is The Promise. Promise, and yeah. it's not mm. about immigration. It just happens to be set in McAllen. Okay. And they and she so, wanted to understand like you know the reality at McAllen and also like you know what's going on at the border. Yeah. So it was very nice that during her free time from filming. You know, she would go to the respite center uh, to learn more about the issue. Right. And they, well. of course, welcome her with open arms. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we met the uh, the, act- the actress, and then um, I, I guess we, we went to eat afterwards. Yeah, we went and got something Everybody to eat was and... really hungry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, this is the place where you can get really authentic Mexican food. Like, oh, we yeah. had really uh, <laughs> good Mexican food there. Uh, and, and, you know, it, I have to say that when I got to the center and I saw it empty, I was a little bit like disappointed. I was like, shoot, I'm not gonna really get an opportunity Mm -hmm. to see this, uh, to see what the others saw when they came. And um, I was- But you guys saw something. Yeah, and I think it was everybody, it was sort of like feeling the same way. They were like thinking, what are we gonna do here? What are we gonna do? And then they were looking at the itinerary and thinking, what are all these things that they have put for us here? And (laughs) like, they couldn't quite understand, like, why are we going there? Like, why are we doing this? And then everything's started to make sense. Mm-hmm. So Mary Beth, can you talk about um, you know our experience uh, going to the let me see if I can say this right uh, ecclesial based community um, you know with uh, Victoria. Remember Victoria that's the house oh, at the home at the home. So um, so first we went to to the church. Well, wait. <laughs> first we went no because before we went to the church we went to the river. Right? Didn't we go look at the river when we saw the Border Patrol agent? Yes, and then yes. we went, and that was kind of the first, like, oh, so we all, that the river was completely empty. It was an overlook. No, oh, no, 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 no. Before that, we went to the border crossing. <laughs> so there's a small border crossing where there's literally a ferry that can carry one car and a few people. And you get across on this ferry by pulling a rope. And it is an official custom station, but it's not heavily trafficked because only the number of people who can fit on the ferry go, but it gives you an idea of the border station. So we went to that and we met some of the people at the border station who were not, they let us be there, but they weren't too excited. Mm -hmm. And then right near there is an overlook where you look down and we stood there and we looked down Okay, this is where the hard part's gonna start, <laughs> listeners. And we could see deflated rafts and empty water jugs. Yeah. And I would say we were not there five minutes when a border patrol agent, hi, what are y'all doing here? Well, it, it was it was kind of like nice to see the border patrol agent because we were there looking down and not understanding like, you know, everything because there was nobody there to explain and I hadn't really been there um, sort of like uh, to give a, a fair explanation of exactly what we were seeing, right? So then this guy comes up and we're like, and he was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> we're just, everybody was sort of like afraid, out. like, what is he gonna do? Like, <laughs> well, and we were, we all had on, because we were going to see Sister Norma, we wanted to wear our Share the Journey shirts, mm-hmm. yeah. which we wore several days, I might add. Oh, I bet. Sweaty shirts. But um, we went, so we all, most of us had on our shirts. So it was clear we were part of some kind of group. And so he asked us what we were doing, and we told him, and he got out of his car, and he was very friendly, Mm -hmm. very nice to us, answered a lot of questions. Um, 
He said that this was his hardest summer. 11 years, I believe, he said. he 13. 13? Yes, okay. 13 years. But he said this was definitely the hardest, that there had been a lot of drownings this summer mm-hmm. he had not seen. And he literally said that if someone is drowning on the U.S. side of the river, they can save them. And if they're drowning on the Mexican side of the river, they can't. Mm-hmm. And you look at the river and you go, how do you know How's exactly where that line is? I mean, there is not, it's not like a freeway where there's a lane going down the middle. Um, and, he, you know, he said that just that either earlier that day or the day before there had been a raft. And I said, well, do you take them in? Do you go get them? And he said, no, we'll signal to them. Just go back so that they don't have to get apprehended. And when we left there, we saw a group of people being apprehended, um, mm-hmm. not related to that raft, but... Yeah, they were, um, you know, in custody, I guess. Yeah, and he said point. that every day. Like, and the, the local people said they're just sort of immune to it because that's just part of what happens every day. Well, you just start imagining, like, you know, the river uh, Rio Grande doesn't really look that big. It's like, um, it looks so quiet. It looks, it so, looks peaceful, so peaceful, right? Yeah. yeah. And you would not believe uh, sort of like all the tragedy that that river carries yeah. with it, you know. And it was sort of like it looks so easy to just cross from one place to the other. Yeah. But then but you, you imagine the swim. undercurrents well, and having a toddler, swim. a baby, you know, yeah. you're trying to get all these kids across. Yes. You, you know, going back to the conversation with the, the Border Patrol, you know, we've had a lot of, you and I, Mary, have had a lot of conversations with pilgrims, and the, they always seem to have an interaction with a Border Patrol yes. agent. And every time they come back, it, it's always somewhere between a neutral or a positive interaction with uh, the Border Patrol agents, which I'm always kind of fascinated by. Yeah. You know? Mary it's, Beth uh, could actually tell you something about that. He meant, what, what did he say? Like, you know, he said something about them being the bad guys. Oh, yeah. He said, oh, he's good. He said, wow, most people, you know, think we're really the bad guys. They want to but, kill I mean, us. everybody's got a job to do. And yeah. and it isn't just people. They're, you know, well, it's that's part of the complication. I sure. mean, there are drugs that come across the borders yeah. and there are weapons and there are things that so, you need a border patrol yeah, for. Exactly. But yeah. um, and it's it's interesting, you know, we look, I think, sometimes about how all migrants are painted with the same right. brush and it what? that was a shock for me frankly to see a border patrol agent so willing to he said look my parents were migrants i have kids here i want to keep people safe when they cross i want to get them to the facility a safe way and i was just floored and i was yeah. startled and then you have you hear other stories from the border patrol agents well, which are much more disturbing but. and and i we had one encounter which i won't get into now but one encounter with somebody at a checkpoint where it's like you see where the other side is. Yeah. Not kind. Yeah. Not at all kind. And all the we areas really of gray in between, yeah. you yeah. know, it's complicated. There was I remember when we went to the ferry, uh, that was uh on Thursday. Um and, you know, there was these agents that, you know, she said, if you cross that fence, you cannot come back unless you have your passport. Ooh. And she was right there with us. Like, it, w- it was like, you cannot step one foot there. 
and which I did. Thank you. I was in the restroom at that time. I come out, and I'm thinking we can run down and see the fairy. Like you know, let's it like hop in down there, and I'm like running down. Then, she and was violating the law. What are you doing? Stop, Mike. Stop can you imagine a press we're having to write a press release? You and know, I didn't. Because I, I missed that part. I thought we just couldn't get on the ferry, and yeah. it, and the last ferry right. to Mexico had just left, so it wasn't even like we could have gotten on it but and i just had she, missed she that was just part. gonna leave you in there because she mentioned like we're closing this right oh now and goodness. it was like two minutes uh away until we uh they were closing so she was like you would have stayed in mexico wow well so. you guys did well you guys were the first group to cross into mexico and i remember the meeting leading up to this trip with just the committee we were saying should we be doing this? Um, you know, I never I've felt been, unsafe there. I will say yeah, that I, I did sure. because of the daylight and because of where we were there. Right. Yeah. And, and just to clarify, you know that that change in sort of the the itinerary for the trip right. that was necessitated by the fact that the the that the respite center had become a trickle. Right. And you know, we were the organizers of the pilgrimages were really looking for ways of helping people to still understand what was going on, even though mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of people at the respite center. So, I mean, a question for you, Mary, is because I wasn't part of those conversations. How did that develop going across the river? Like, where did, did that come from, Sister, Sister Norma, Norma, or did that come? Sister from- Norma, she yeah. mentioned. She mentioned it, and the group that went down in September, a couple of them just. By happenstance, they just happened to have their passports with them. And at the time, there were some people in the respite center, enough for the group to serve um, and, and speak to. But there were a couple people with passports. And Sister Norma said, this shows how, you know, bold and unafraid she is. Oh, she my said, goodness. well, then you guys can cross. We need water to get to the other side yeah. because of, you know, the... The yeah. policy that's in place right now and after uh, I would recommend like for the people that uh, want to see what that looks like you know to go on our uh, Facebook page I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, Mike Walsh uh, would be posting those sure. pictures of with the they're up on court, the Catholic charities the, the courts and they're up in the Catholic charities website yeah so um, you know it, it, it is incredible how they just see the need and they they respond in not the fanciest way, but the most like you know effective way that they can do. Like they cannot be crossing uh, a full uh, truck of stuff, and they have stuff to give, but it's not possible uh, to cross it all at once. And so right. they need people and they need volunteers to go with them and bring these beach cars and sort of like drag them with uh, water bottles mm-hmm. and, and food. And uh, Mary Beth can talk a little bit about how was that experience of, you know, going to Mexico and dragging those, uh, what are they called again? Those wagons. wagons. Well, they were, like you said, beach carts. They're the beach things carts. that you take to the beach. They're oh, full right. collapsible wagons. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. How, how was that like uh, for our group? Like, what was, what was well, your... Hold on. I think, I think we're missing a little bit in the narratives. I don't know how you got from one to the other. So, you, you, so you're still in McAllen, Texas. What was the process for so getting across So then you drive the... to Brownsville. It was about a 45-minute drive, I guess, to yes. where we were crossing to, to go to... Mon- Matamoros. Matamoros. Okay. Si. Si. <laughs> That's her Spanish right um, there. Very good. Yeah, and I sure wish I knew Spanish. Yeah. Oh, heavens do I wish um, I knew yeah. Spanish. I Wow. But um, 
Yeah, so so one thing about the empty respite, I just want to say one more thing about the yeah. sort of almost empty respite centers is that when you get there, it suggests to you that there isn't a problem anymore, mm-hmm. but the problem's worse yeah. because yes. it's on the other side and because all the services that people were getting at the respite center, including help with how to get to their next place in the U.S. while they're waiting for their court date, that's all gone for them. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there because it's a whole lot worse. And that's that's sort of what this led us to. Right. And, and there's so, no respite center on the other no, side. So when people is, are bust back, they right. do not have access can I, to that. Can I just add this about the respite center too? Like they were kicked out uh, of the initial respite center that they had mm-hmm. uh, because uh, neighbors complained about yeah. them being there. But, you know, the Holy Spirit works his magic. And now... Not only do they have a place that uh, they're not renting anymore, they bought this place wow. and it's huge. It is it's amazing. It's a former nightclub. It is like oh. a warehouse. Like, you yeah. know, it is incredibly big. Uh, and they will try to accommodate that to uh, be able to better serve people, hoping that, you know, if these policies change, uh, they are prepared and equipped to serve uh, the families that are going to come in. Yeah. Sure. So then, okay, so you, you okay, make the decision so, to go over there, go to Brownsville. So the next day we got up and we went to the respite center. Well, we went to the Catholic Charities in Brownsville and got a whole bunch of water case, just a ton of cases of water bottles. And, and some of us had bought some toiletries to leave at the respite center. Um, but they said, well, why don't you bring them? So we, mm. we had, what, two bags full of deodorant and a bag full of Dove soap, right? Not, not a whole lot. So when we crossed over, there was almost a wagon per person. Some of us were sort of sharing the load of a wagon. I think 11 of us went over all together. Yes. And um, so maybe we had six or seven wagons. We had seven wagons. And um, we got over there, and the first thing you see is just this sea of pup tents on concrete. Mm. And people just people everywhere this is like a cityscape this is at it so it's not Uh, it's like a rural uh city type um because it's vineland it's (laughs) no not even that like you know because once you get like once you uh get there uh all you see is the tents and the streets to go to matamoros uh, into the city but these are like uh it's pavement uh, in one side and then if you go as you go up because it's building up like you know it's mm-hmm. it's sort of like developing uh, there's dirt too like there's tents on dirt uh, that you see but all you see is tents and dirt and there was some type of structure I don't know that's where they had they said they had mass on Sundays there's I guess a square with some type of statue or something but you're not I couldn't even I don't remember any of that. All I remember is tents and people. Like tents you're and not people, yeah. and and taking it. So as you cross on the right side to go to Mexico, it's a very quick walk. You pay a dollar. They let you through with your wagon. <laughs> they do a pretty cursory check just to make sure. And all we had really was water bottles and a few toiletries. Um, so they let us through with those. And then you, you know, you see the big welcome to Mexico. Bien Bienvenidos a México. Yeah. See, and we sort of randomly picked a place to stop, and well, we couldn't really go so far. Yeah, like you know, once we brought the wagons, like they were running to us, and people were coming from everywhere to get the 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 water bottles. Just the hands, agua, agua, agua. Yeah, 
and um, so we, within 20 minutes, we were out of water, but we had heard that they were... We wish we had more. Like, we just put them under our feet in the vans. Like, we made people really, like, you know, uh, We were all holding water. We were all holding cases of water, had them in our feet. take uh, as much water as we could in the vans, because, you know, we had to put the the wagons in the van, and we also had to put 11 people. So making sure that we took as much as possible was also a challenge. Yeah. So... Oh, sorry. Oh, no. So I was going to say, then they have a, they had a um, sort of a makeshift medical clinic, just a one-day clinic with some, a doctor and some nurses who'd come down from New York. And they did say that anybody who spoke Spanish could be of help with translation. Mm. So Marianella, of course, immediately sat down. And we had a couple other people in our group, one who's, who speaks good Spanish, but she said she understands everything, but speaks doesn't feel as confident speaking. And then another woman in our group whose Spanish is still her primary language. So Marianella was really the only truly bilingual person mm-hmm. with us. So she did these tran- the translation and got some of the really intense stories. But before she did that, um, we, we were all sort of staying close to where everyone could see each other. We always stayed with another member. And we came upon Marianella, who was removing from her wrist a, a rosary bracelet that we had been given at the our principal's, principal's conference. Yeah, yeah, the principal's conference, and I see her putting it on the wrist of this little girl. Mm. And so then she gave the little girl a hug and said, happy birthday. Oh. And so this little girl, it was her fourth birthday, so one of the other people who could translate, and I stayed back, and Marianella was moving on to the medical tent, and we were talking, and this woman, this beautiful young Nicaraguan woman who was maybe 30, maybe, maybe and she had a 10-year-old, 4-year-old, and a 1-year-old, and the dad had been killed. Mm-hmm. And that's one of, I know, a zillion stories. And um, I'm going to move past because Marianella really got most of the true stories because she was able to converse. Yeah, I mean, like, I talked to um, Father Joe Capora was there, too, with me and translating, and uh, he's from the University of Notre Dame, and he is spending some of his sabbatical there and at the end of the day he said i really got so tired of hearing all the stories all the sad stories and you know it was sort of like we had a similar experience going on and helping um the doctors we thought we were going to be seeing like uh more doctors there there was one doctor and there is a few nurses from new york that were serving there. And um, so I was doing the intake with the families and there's um, there was a man that was from Guatemala and he was, and as I was talking about their health and what was going on. Most of them had like, you know, sore throats and vi- like um, virus going on. And they, they, were, they were sort of like saying, uh, I don't know what to do. If I don't get to get into the U.S., my my mom was killed. Most of my family were killed, and I was told I was next with my child, who's ten. And I had a good job in my country; like I was doing well. And you can tell, like you know, he was very articulate. And I met his child, who's there listening to all of these, yeah, and who is very articulate about what's going on. And the child is like confirming, yes, we have no family over there. Well, we have one aunt. And uh, he, the father said, I had him in, in a private school there. Like, 
it's not that we wanted to leave. We needed to leave to survive. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen because if I don't get accepted into the U.S., Mexico is in a worse position. Like, it's sort of like the same place that I was in terms of violence. So now... Except what? they have nothing, absolutely nothing. All their resources, energy, time, money has been put into the, the journey yeah. here. And now they're in Mexico and thousands of thousands of people are in these dangerous areas. There's really not much law enforcement. There's no access to clean well, water, bathroom facilities without payment. Um, showers. Well, Mary so. Beth and I were having this conversation and, um, you know, she said something that actually like really got into my brain and it was <laughs> like, they're not only homeless, some of them feel like they're countryless. And yeah. so where do they belong, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and what can we do to help, which was a big question for our group, but I won't get into that. Um, you know, there was a woman I met on the, on the second day who had been there for two days. And she was sort of like getting into this community and trying to figure out, is this what I'm going to do? Uh, to say like, I, I have uh, proof that, you know, if I go back, they're gonna kill me. So, but I see this and I don't understand what I should do. So what do you recommend? And I was sort of like asked for legal advice and yeah. I couldn't really give them a lot of hope because she was asking me about the Mexican asylum and like, you know, what if I start working here? Because I guess she looked at people there hungry and with so many needs and she was asking herself, is this what I'm gonna do? Is this where I'm gonna stay doing nothing and uh, not being able to provide for my kid? She had like a a 12 year old and and, and I just couldn't answer in a positive way because what, what, what can you tell them? Especially when they're hearing dates, if they even have a shot, you know, they're months from now, yeah. if not longer, she had a there's a bottleneck. Day in and three months, so yeah. that meant like she really so needed you to go? stay there for three months yeah, at the they're, tent. They're at like January now for hearing dates, and you, the, the, you have your preliminary hearing when you get there, you meet before a judge who's mm-hmm. on a FaceTime screen in a tent. And that person determines whether your story is credible enough to make it to the next move. So if that judge says, nah, that doesn't sound treacherous enough to me, then you're sunk. And then, but if you get a court date, it's months away. And, and if you take aside, and what, they're, what we've heard is that if you accept asylum from Mexico, you lose your shot to come to the United yep. States, but they don't know, they don't this. know this. Nobody knows what's going on. And it's partly because I don't think Anybody knows what's going on, not just the migrants, but the people making the rules. The rules change. The other thing we heard is that they get their court date, they show up for the court date, and they say, oh, yeah, we tried to get in touch with you, but can't do it today. And then they get rescheduled for a few months out. So they've spent, now how are they supposed to get in touch with them they when don't they're have living addresses. on the streets? Mm-hmm. Or phones. They don't have phones. Or anyone to call sometimes. Yeah, so now is the I benefit mean, of the respite center. You get the legal advice. You get basic things like do not take the ankle bracelet off. Do not miss your court date. This is what you say in court. These are your rights. They have none of that. And, <laughs> and you also, when you leave the respite center, at least most of them, it's my understanding. Again, I, you know, a lot of this is just what we've seen and heard is that you have someone who's sponsoring you. You right. have a cousin someplace or a brother or somebody who is vouching for you. Mm-hmm. When you're on living in a pup tent 
with six other people on the street, there's there's nobody no. nobody yeah. to vouch for you and, and nobody to make sure you make it to court. And it's it, horrific reading some of the incidents that have happened. There's people being raped, um, not just in that oh my section, God. but along the whole border. It's not safe. Well, they, they said, women said that they wouldn't go to, like even people who have money said they wouldn't go to the store because they couldn't, A, leave their family unattended, and B, couldn't take the chance that they would be kidnapped, mm-hmm. raped, or killed going to the store, which you had someone who said that happened, right? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, bitterness uh, with the Mexican criminals mm-hmm. that um, they don't want the people there. And um, they're also, like, I, I heard this man while I was uh, translating in that he was sort of like telling me his story. And he was mentioning how uh, his children had been menaced that, you know, if they didn't leave or if they didn't go with them to, uh, you know, become criminals, then they would cut their hands and that they uh, were going to be tortured. And I met a man that was actually tortured. And he said, um, you know, a lot of, bad things happen to me in my country but some horrible things are happening here as well Mm -hmm. so they really have this pace that you know they feel a little bit safer but even like you know they 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 need things and they don't go to matamoros because they are afraid to not come back there was a 15 year old um young girl that had a baby and she went to get something in the city and you know they were asking for like i don't remember twelve thousand fifteen hundred dollars to uh sort of like release her and they were called making her call she was kidnapped her her family and you know of course her family didn't have that for each of them um and so she disappeared and they didn't see her again and all those women that are looking because now it's getting to a point where they know a few people there like you know they they know each other uh they're they're counting their people they're like you know these two people made it and there was a pregnant woman that made it uh past the border and you know uh, she was actually at the respite center Um, and there was a woman with a special child that got in but you know they're counting how many people are making it and feeling very hopeless because they know that it's it's very rare Mm -hmm. when they take somebody in yeah when when we were coming back over the second day one of the this um well we got our passports checked and then there's like one more person who's just sort of sitting there i don't know exactly what she did because she wasn't uh checking passports but she said oh who are you with when she saw sort of our matching t-shirts and empty wagons and said, no you know we're the group taking you took food over there sort of a she was sort of a tisker yeah (laughs) so always gonna be one of them and and she did have a hispanic name and a very slight accent she says oh she says i walked i went over the other day to have lunch with my mother and my sisters and you know we saw them just throwing food away they were giving them food and they were just throwing the throwing the food away and we were kind of like confused by that because we had just that was the second day and we had come back with several hundred peanut butter sandwiches that nobody was throwing away they were desperate for those sandwiches and um she said, yeah, she said, then, you know, it got cold one night and they brought blankets over and people were so unruly about those blankets that uh, one one woman got knocked over and had to go to the hospital. And she was sort of like talking about this savage behavior, you know, so 
we were with um i don't know mary do you know who willie is willie perez he stayed uh, from one of the pilgrimage and in sleeping yes. there now yeah he, yeah, so he he's, moved there yeah he moved there yeah. he's a guy this is a guy who went on a share the journey trip with the diocese of metuchen they he's retired he's been in the point. u.s like 40 years oh. he's guatemalan originally i believe and he was so moved by the experience that he got an apartment down there so mm-hmm. he could stay there he's a full-time volunteer and he was with us that day so we were like willie can you tell us a little more he said well the blank he said i was there for the blanket situation he said it got down to 40 degrees and there were only so many blankets and yes people were clamoring for blankets yeah. and somebody fell we could see how that would happen when we went back to distribute <laughs> things because just that crowd mentality it wasn't because people were unkind or wicked it's just yeah that's, that's not what, a migrant thing that's a people that's thing. a people yeah. thing and there is going to be increasing violence there because you you just can't right. keep people in those circumstances the food situation was really interesting he said the mexican government is now handing out about 200 meals a day for almost and 2000 people for almost two, and they don't the people don't trust the food they think they're being poisoned so they're not going to eat uh. the food that's being given to them by the people the that Mexicans. by people they don't trust yeah. right but I, I do have to say that uh, there's a few families that mention that some Mexican people do come and try to help them, like, mm-hmm. you know, individually. I guess they're not trusting the government because, uh, you know, they, they feel that they, they, they are unwanted there, you yes. know, and, and they don't trust them. And, you know, 200 for a, a group of 2,000. Some people eat it because they're desperately hungry, right. you know, but there's there's others that have, like, you know, that reaction, and that's totally understandable. Mm-hmm. It's just unimaginable to think, you know, in my context, like, not married, no kids, imagine fending for myself, but then add children to the mix, and it's just... Yeah, one who of the do things you feed that really the decisions you have to make who's strong enough who needs yep. this one bottle of water. Yeah. I mean, the decision making has to be excruciating. I felt really powerless. Yeah, uh, when I had this woman who was breastfeeding her child, like you know, she is really not getting much food herself, and I could see the child sick, and she was worried not having the medicine to provide for the child. Uh, she was told that the child was uh, in malnutrition. So what do I tell that woman? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she, she doesn't have money to buy milk uh, or anything that the child needs. Yeah. And so I remember like Tom Burke, uh, one of our, uh, one of the people in our pilgrimage said, you know, this is a humanitarian crisis and these children are going to start dying. Yep. Yeah. Because Sister Norma and her people can only do so much. Yeah. And it, it is it is impossible to feed all of them every day, mm-hmm. you know? So, so, you know, at what point do humans uh, become that way? Yeah. And that feeling of helplessness, it's you've... I imagine you must feel it more than, I guess, some of the other people who have gone down and just done their work in the respite center. And I think that that discomfort, that helplessness, that, you know, what what am I doing to help? Like, I think that's the hallmark of, like, a, a pilgrimage. You know, you're learning 
you can't fix everything. I think you mentioned Mary Beth something about just slapping a Band-Aid on it and what else can you do? Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, you can't fix the situation. And I think for, for people, there, there are so many different opinions about what the situation is and what our responsibility is and who we let in and who we don't. And I think that the thing that really has to get carved out is, as Mary and Alice said, this is a humanitarian crisis. Right. These people, like whatever you think about immigration, this is a separate issue. It's all part of it. Right. But but whatever your beliefs are, as whether you're even Christian or not Christian, if you are a human being with a beating heart, our responsibility is to make sure people around us don't die. Right. You know, we, we can ask Alexia to almost get our water out of the refrigerator for us. We should be able to take care of people who are starving and and yeah. sick. Uh, it's it's yeah. I'm yeah. I'm curious. Um, you know, you you are two of thirteen that went down. Um, what did you sixteen? Sixteen. Fifteen. Yeah. What did you, as the group, did you notice a change in the group over time? Like, did you see, were people affected, not affected? I think we just got closer as a group. And I think Mm -hmm. not everybody had necessarily the same perspective about immigration, but everybody had the same perspective about taking care of fellow human beings. And and, um, one of the things about the respite center not being open and, and sort of having two different places there were things of great value to do at the respite center, and some people did not come to Mexico, and they stayed at the respite center. They cleaned, they sorted clothes, they made sandwiches, which was huge because the next day when we, we had thought we were only going over once, but some of us really wanted to get back there a second day, and there was an opportunity. There were enough wagons, there were enough people, and there was enough stuff. And if those people hadn't stayed behind and made, what, 300 peanut butter sandwiches, mm-hmm we wouldn't have had that to take over. And then there was Pedialyte. The second day we were, took more, there was Pedialyte yeah. and some more toiletries. And we actually made two foot trips to, to bring more loads over. Um, so so everybody had a role, and yeah. that was a really good thing. And then at night we would sort of get together and talk about what we had done. And, and those reflections are so important no, they are. because you have so many thoughts swarming around in your head and, yeah. you know, the only people you can talk about is the other people who have seen it too. And did you find those reflections meaningful? You had them each, each night? Yeah. Is that it, how it was? Every, um, every night it was hard, uh, to get people to sort of like be in the reflection mode because mm. at, by the time we got to the, to the hotel, it was like, you know, late at night. Late. Uh, <laughs> and you know, we have people that go to bed much earlier mm-hmm. than the time we finish. Uh, so, uh, but what I found interesting was like, you know, even though it was hard to say, okay, let's do the reflection now because this is important. By the time like we got into the reflection, people didn't want to leave. Like it was hard yep. to stop yeah. the conversation. Mm-hmm. So everybody wanted to share uh, what was going on and, and what their feelings were. And, you know, we were very open with each other and about what we experience each day. Uh, there was a day in which I think it was uh, Thursday. We were so tired, like we couldn't uh, stay up any longer. So we decided to do the reflection in the morning, and mm-hmm. I think that helped people to process a little bit more of what they were experiencing that day, and it, it was helpful as well for them. So we had one every day, uh, while well, we were day every night, and um, 
I, I believe Mary Beth, and if you uh, don't think I'm wrong, that they were really meaningful uh, and that the time spent there uh, really helped everybody to have a better picture of what's going on because, you know, I got to see a different part, but she got to see a different mm-hmm. part, and, and so everybody else. Yeah, and I, and I think everyone felt like their different function was part of a bigger whole, mm-hmm. and that was good. Like, everybody's role was important for the people who stayed at the respite center and helped clean and make mm-hmm. sandwiches. We could not have done what we did right. if they weren't doing that. And they they then made more sandwiches so that another group could take them the next day. And so it was it was good. That last night, we had gone out to dinner, and we had a nice – it was kind of our only night. We went to a, you know, a, a restaurant where we sat down. It wasn't fast food, and, and everyone was like, oh, you know, sort of getting back in reflection mode. But – we had a great reflection that oh, night, and great. people yeah. were willing to stay and stay. And it was right. like, no, we're you know we're gonna everybody needs to get packed up and yeah, go to right. bed. And I heard people so. calling the leaders the bad cops, trying to keep them straight. Right, Mary? Yeah. So, yeah, so I should mention I should mention that um, Marianella was one of our leaders, and Luisa Yvette. Is that Luisa Medrano? Medrano, oh, who okay. works at Catholic Charities. I guess I saw She's Yvette. She, that must be her the middle name. Middle that was name. how she was retagged yes. on her thing. Anyway, Luisa and Marianella were our leaders, and they did a really great job. And Marianella had not been before, and you yeah. would never have known it. Um, she just did a fantastic mm. job. And, and the other thing that she did that was so warming to me was when um, – we, we have these little notepads that we did for South Jersey Catholic Schools. We've got our logo and a pen. And we had Mary and I said, hey, can I take some of those for people to use as their journals? So oh, we had maybe idea. 15 extra. She said, you know, I think I'm going to take these with me tomorrow. Maybe, you know, we could give them out to some of the kids. And then at, at Catholic Charities, they gave us some. Oh, there were shoelaces. It was kind of like just this grab bag. But when we got down there, I, I see Marianella. She keeps pulling things out of her bag, the little <laughs> notebook. And all of a sudden, Mary I, see Poppins. A, I see a pair of earrings that I know I've seen in her ears. They're going into the crowd. And then shoelaces start coming out. I mean, kids were clamoring to get shoelaces because it was something something new well they well, something they didn't have at the they, they, they uh, take them off their sneakers when yeah. they come and cross the border so that's why they're you know that's their number one but requested item shoelaces, shoelaces. Less, i guess honestly yeah. it was like mary poppins things just kept coming out of her bag i'm well, like where know, did that come from and they because she because she is bilingual and because she is who she is these people were just clinging to her and really looking for you her called to, her the, to, the Pied Piper for yeah, this. She was. Yeah. She was like the Pied Piper. And you know what? These. Your sister was the same way. When oh. we were at the border, just people flocked to her. We can't Not just wait to of talk about our own experiences together because yeah. you, she would be able to give me a different perspective, which till the day she has spoken to me about what she experienced. But not really in detail. Hmm. She she couldn't do it when she came. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think this would give us an opportunity to reflect right. on this experience. Uh, I think it's hard, too, to, to have that level of conversation with someone who hasn't been because, like somebody said to me today that someone I, that I was talking to on the phone says, how was your trip? <laughs> And I said, um, I, I, there's I no even, word. Yeah, it was undescribable. It was. Yeah, I, that's I just, a word. Yeah, um, I was yeah. still processing yeah. that. And my sister also did a trip in June. 
and through a, a completely different organization she went by herself and hers was much more kind of a learn the issues than sort of boots on the ground mm -hmm. um, but now but and she hasn't talked about it that much and now we're just I'm gonna see her tomorrow night and we've been you know now we're really ready to share our experiences because yeah. we have both so have Mary this. Beth um, I would like to ask you like you know how was your experience with the Latino community that you encounter? Because, you know, this is supposed to be an encounter that uh, we allow people to have with the community and with the immigrants. And so I just, I just want to really ask you, like, as an American, uh, you know, who, as I said in our, one of our reflections, who owns this land, how, how did you feel meeting the Latino community and what did you take well, uh, from that experience? It's funny because an hour ago you asked me about the ecclesial experience we had at someone's home and now we've come full circle back to your question because <laughs> we went all over the place since then. So that was our, sec that was our second, our first full day, but our second day of the trip was when we went and, and around and met people and went to a couple churches and the second church that we went to the, we met this woman at the church, saw the church, and then she took us back to the home of one of her friends. And we all gathered Everybody on the back porch. Everybody was like, what are we doing? Are we coming down the bin? Yeah, I'm like, are yes, we going, we're going down. Why are we going in this driveway? Oh, what are we they doing? They couldn't and understand we it. We just kept going, following along, right, yeah. sharing the journey. And so we go <laughs> into this house, and they're so welcoming, and they bring us out on this back porch where they have chairs lined up. And we are coming to their weekly prayer service. And it's a group of women who have been meeting. The second group we met had been 36 30, years. 30, this one yeah. was, uh, I thought this one was in the 20s. But anyway, it was, it was a long, long time. <laughs> and they were, some of them were biological sisters. They clearly were all sisters mm. in faith and friendship. Yeah. And they just started, they started with singing. And then um, they prayed and they had, uh, they had, I guess a reading in Spanish, and they did the go a gospel reading in English, which Translating ended up being translating the gospel, oh. which ended up <laughs> what an easy thing to do. <laughs> which ended up being this, the Sunday's gospel reading, uh, that was extremely relevant, and they would talk about it in Spanish, and Marianella was translating, and some of them were doing some translation. Then they'd ask us what we thought in English, and it was just very. It, that in and of itself was very welcoming and warm. And we're like, okay, thank you so much. No, no, wait, wait. And next thing you know, the folding tables go up and they've got this like Last Supper uh, type of long wild. table, but <laughs> enough like, to seat like 20 some people yeah. because with our group and theirs. And out comes the soup with this beautiful tray of no fixings. No RSVP that you, needed. <laughs> that you put in your soup and the food just... It was it was simple and delicious. It was definitely a specialty soup, right? Yeah, it what was, was it called? Pozole. Pozole. It's mm. a traditional Mexican uh, <laughs> sort of like stew. <laughs> yeah. um, and we stayed there for oh another. That was when I spent the whole time talking people to this young really woman. People were really enjoying themselves, and they were, it, it was like having a party, you know, yeah, it with was. all these people that we didn't know yeah. and got to know that day. Victoria, thank you. If you ever listen to this podcast. We are grateful for all you did, and uh, your daughter and Fatima as well. Fatima is who I spent my and, evening with. You know, yeah. and all of the uh, wonderful people that we met that night that were so like 
they were hugging us and yeah. like taking pictures with us and you know um it was like you know another family that now, sense hot, of welcome the, is just unreal it's amazing and that's when i said it occurred to me that sometimes we get to be or have to be yeah. or are the stranger yeah mm-hmm. and um just you know sort of letting letting yourself go into that is a wonderful experience yeah. because it this was this was their home not yeah. mine and uh, you know and they were just so welcoming and kind and this and is faithful. certainly a catholic topic to talk about uh all of in itself but i do want to sort of like end uh this uh podcast with uh sort of like highlighting uh our experience with the people from the saint diego church and what they did, Mary Beth. The, that was the second day. That, the, 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 the day where we went to, we got lost right. for like an hour and a oh, half no, no. and went into dirt roads. All part of the journey. So that's part of the journey. So again, when, when Mary and I say dirt, dirt roads, <laughs> yes. I mean, we were back and forth. The dust has just <gasps> come up, barely oh see. And we're, we, it took us an it hour. It was an adventure. About an sure. hour and a half to go a half hour. Yes. And, and to say. the benefit of us, uh, and I will include myself, the American community that was coming, you know, Latino time is very flexible. So they were not upset with us. <laughs> we had wanted to go early, and we contacted them to see if we could go early, and they're like, oh, no, you can't, you know, no, you can't come early. So we ended up being an hour and a half late, I guess. Yes. Um, or an hour late, anyway. Yes. So um, summarizing, like, what happened there. So, so we meet this community at this very small little church, and that was part of the confusion because we pa- it was very rural, and we passed this church the likes of which you have never seen. It was like, it Incredible. must have been how, how Dorothy felt when she saw the Emerald City. <laughs> I mean, it's this huge white structure with landscaping and grass in this area where there's not a lot of that. And Louisa says, yeah, that's the new church that was being built before. That's the new church, but that's not where we're meeting. So we finally get to the meeting place, and it's a very modest church, and it's the church social hall. Really small. And the prayer group of women thirty who've been together 36 years were there, as well as the youth group. And more people kept coming, and every one of them introduced who they are and you know by name. And they had one of the young people translating for them, and then Marianella was doing some translating, and we all went around and got you know sort of the get, get to know you. And then they bring out their food, and one of their specialties was gorditas, what I, which I thought was was peppers, but it's actually cooked cactus in oh, some type oh of goodness. spread in a tortilla thing, and it's a real delicacy of the area. Delicious. Um, so they had these sandwiches and some right other sandwiches and sodas. And then they said, okay, follow us. So we go to this new church. Uh, just go sometime. It or was, check it out. Like, it, check it out. Like, unbelievable. Just, uh, I think yeah, you it's, can, it's part of the, the pictures on the Catholic Charities website, right, Mary? Yes. We all took a ton of pictures. St. Juan, Juan Diego Church is called. So it was women. Interestingly, there are not a lot of men it's hanging a, around yeah, these groups. That's something. And so these women decided they needed a new church, and they got a new pastor who was open they to the idea. They dream about it. And they, I, you look at the how sparsely populated it appears to be, and you go in, and this is like almost a cathedral-sized church. Lord, it is incredible. Like I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know if if we have one like that in our diocese. It's huge, and and that. it is furnished largely with materials that came from a deconsecrated 
church in Boston that is now a condominium complex. Oh my goodness. Holy Trinity, I believe, which was a German Catholic church in Boston. The stained glass windows at the front and back, they have this uh, stone relief carving of, of Jesus that's just beautiful. They commissioned all the Stations of the Cross um, from an artist in Peru. In Peru, yeah, the priest brought those. Um, it, it was absolutely spectacular, and they're so proud of it. They have a relic from um, Romero, uh, Romero. Uh, Romero and their altar, which you can't see. It's under a um, – it, it was absolutely astounding, So they and they were so proud of it. But we were saying there has to be a way to make a documentary about oh, the yeah. whole process well, of, dis, of the vision. Have... And then the whole thing – it would be great for the Boston community, too. We did find some articles about it. But I'm surprised there's not a documentary on yeah. the building of this church. Wow. I meant to say Oscar Romero. And uh, just they have high connections with Pope Francis, who selected the youth group oh to Skype with them during the youth group uh, synod or something. Um, I, I mean. Oh, the youth synod yes. from oh, last synod. year. Yeah. It, mm -hmm. it is incredible. So um, they are there very happy to share their story about how they came up to have this amazing church. And they said, this is the dream of a town and this is i mean it, it was like if you had a house like the, the house of your dreams for them it was not their house what it was the house of their dreams for them it was the church wow. that was the house of their dreams and to worship the lord they know and they think that he deserves the best and so they wanted to give him that and wow. a lot of empanadas gorditas mm. tortillas tamales were being sold so that they could sort of like help and be stewards of their faith and of their church. I will say I came back, my faith was really strengthened. Mm. Well, that's a, um, that's it a was, it's Which is sort of interesting because one could look at the sadness on the, I mean, the, the uh, wow, it's, it's really unbelievable across the border. And you think, how could, how could that happen in a land of God? But when you see the faith of even the people there and then the people who've, who have really hard stories that have made it on the other side and who, the, way, the way the Latino community worships and, and praises and believes is just incredibly inspiring. It really is. And, and the other thing I would like to say is that I felt so proud to be part of Catholic Charities. Everywhere you go, you know, there's just... I, I can't even riding around in that van knowing that that Catholic Charities sticker was on the side and saying, "Yeah, I'm with them," because well, they are they the you, they are living the gospel every all right, single now day. Now I actually have tears it's, in my it's, eyes. It's, it's true. Faith in I hope action, Kevin listens and, to this. And I think uh, that's a great way way to end our podcast and basically encourage our fellow Catholics to leave the gospel uh, and move to action because I have to say this was not about ourselves but there's nothing best than the feeling of at least doing something and putting your granito de arena um you know your little sand mm. grain <laughs> that doesn't make sense in english but um no just, leaving leaving a little bit of you making exactly, a little yeah sure. exactly so um and doing that for for the benefit of humanity uh in the name of jesus mm -hmm. and and i know just 
you know, you mentioned our fellow Catholics, but and that's who's probably listening to this podcast. But I posted a lot, um, well, three sort of significant posts on my Facebook page. The three main days Which that were we beautiful. were there, I read them. and the comments, Incredible. the comments that I had. I have a lot of non-Catholic friends and friend. I have atheist and Jewish friends who were saying, "How can I donate? How? Tell, please share more." Mm-hmm. So this is really. We are Catholic, and we're doing this through a Catholic lens, but this is humanitarian, mm-hmm. and and I think we should be speaking to everybody we can whenever Absolutely. we can to Let's encourage. share the journey. And yeah. you two deserve a round of applause because you just flew in. I was checking my phone at 1.30, and you guys had just landed after an exhausting, in every <laughs> sense of the word, exhausting we're few recording days. this around uh, well, 2 o'clock on And it's the end Monday. of the day, and yeah. you both were able to... To share, I, think I know we're, you could we're, talk we're about both, it for days. But we're both with a grateful heart uh, to totally. be here today and to be with our families and to see that you know God has been really good to us and that we uh, need to share what He's given us. Amen. Well, I think Amen. that is the perfect way to end the podcast. Thank you very much for going. Thank you very much for uh, for sharing your reflections with us today. Thank you very much for pulling yourselves into the vault when I know you're dead tired. Mary Beth, or Mary Beth, thank you very much. Uh, Marianella, thank you very much. And Mary, thank you very much for sitting in with us today and giving us perspective. And to all the listeners, thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you later. Gracias por escuchar Talking Catholic.